The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today we journey to Borneo to visit the grossest whorehouse ever. Well, at least that we know of. And then we look at a story known as Jameson Family Spiritual Warfare. Was a family of three driven from their home by white supremacists? By a religious cult in their area? Or by something not of this world? A dark, demonic force that eventually made the family disappear? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. However, I do have to start the episode off with this briefly. I planned on episode 3 running till the middle of February where I have a planned trip. In be- for new listeners, in between seasons I take a week off. Seasons are normally 50 episodes each, and right now we're already on episode 151, I believe. And I don't think I can make it that long without a break. It's a 10-week work schedule to produce 50 episodes. And I'm just getting grueled. I'm just, I don't know if that's a word. I know it's a word, but I'm just getting worn down by all the back-end stuff. The recording, the episodes, and the editing and stuff like that, I'm fine with. It's doing all the tagging and marketing and stuff like that. That's really starting to wear me down. So... This is how it's going to have to go. Today's episode, and then we'll have tomorrow's episode, and then that will be the end of season three. I'm going to take a week-long break off. I'll be back for the first week of February, but then I'm going to have to take a couple days off in the middle of February as well. Because I don't think I can produce 10 or 12 or whatever more episodes. Actually, yeah, it would be about 10 more episodes to get me to that trip in February. I don't think I can do it. I think I'm just getting worn down by a lot of the back and stuff. And I think people who have emailed me who haven't gotten responses lately, that's why. Normally, I'm really good at responding to people. But it's just been a... Everything's just kind of starting to bog down in the back. So I need to take that break. I'll get, respond to all the emails and things like that. We're gonna So today, tomorrow, and then we're going to take a week off. We'll come back, and then we'll take a couple days off in February. So I apologize, but I do need that break after that. After 50 episodes, I really need a week to kind of recharge. I think that's a better alternative than keep going until I just give up and say, I'm just totally burned out and walk away. You have to kind of walk away and rest before things get too rough. So that being said, I apologize it's on such short notice. It wasn't my original plan, but we will go ahead and move on with the episode. Now we're going to go ahead and we are going to visit the country of Borneo somewhere in the... uh, when does it stop being the Pacific Ocean? Like, Hawaii is in the Pacific, right? But at what point do, is it like after that, the bottom part of Africa where it becomes the Atlantic again? At what point do they go, nah, you're not in the Pacific anymore? I'm sure somebody knows that. I'm sure there's actually a scientific reason for that. But anyways, I believe that Borneo is a country in that region, in the re- Asia region, an island most likely. Because it has a short name. Countries with short names are islands. I bet you didn't know that. Peru. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to Borneo. And in Borneo, there is a palm oil farm. So that's not a pun. 
But we are visiting a brothel. You figure if you were harvesting palm oil, you'd just be like, I'm good. This is, this is all I need. This and a sexy coconut, and I'm good. Anyways, in Borneo, at this palm oil farm, there's a brothel. You know, because they get tired of using the palm oil, they want some female companionship. It's only a couple quid, which in real money is a couple bucks. A couple bucks of American money. You can go to this whorehouse. You pay to bang a chick. Or... If you're really feeling adventurous, at this particular whorehouse, you can bang Pony. Now, Pony, confusingly, is not a pony. It's not an equine of any sort. Pony is a prostitute and also a shaved orangutan. So for a couple bucks at this whorehouse, you could go there. And bang an orangutan. Now, the th- what I don't understand... There's a lot of things I don't understand about this. One, they have working prostitutes at the whorehouse. It's not like they're like, Damn it, Jimmy! No one wants to work here! And some guy seeing like an orangutan like climbed from the trees. And he's like, hmm, I have an idea. So there was active working prostitutes there. I don't understand why they had to go get an orangutan. Two, why'd they shave it? Like, it's an orangutan. It's not going to look any better bald. It'll actually probably look worse. You would think just banging the monkey would be bad enough. I can't imagine someone being like, you know what? I really want to bang that primate, but it's too hairy. Like, even though it looks nothing, there's nothing attractive about a any sort of monkey. The only, the only thing that's stopping me from banging monkeys is the amount of hair they have. That's completely ridiculous. Anyways, they shaved it. They put makeup on it, which again... Why? It's not worth the effort. But dudes are paying to bang pony. But here's where we get super gross. The, the, I mean, that's not bad enough. A shaved orangutan. It was uh, tied to the bed. Gross. It's pretty gross. I mean, I guess it's gross, but quite logical. Because otherwise, everyone who paid money would come out and they're like, how was the sex? He was like, it was fine until she ripped my face off. Ah! Like, you would have to tie it down. But, I mean, you're basically... It's not consensual. You're ra- I guess it's always not consensual <laughs> when you're banging an orangutan, but it's even less consensual. Is is I don't know. It was only six years old. So now not only are you banging a, an orangutan, you're also a child molester. So, you know, that's gross. That's even grosser. Just so you don't go, well, in, in human years, an orangutan. No, no, no. That's six. It matches up. So basically it was a six-year-old girl. And she was taken as a baby and raised by the whorehouse people to become a prostitute, apparently. And when a dude would walk in the room, it would start, like, gyrating its hips. I mean, dude, I mean, it's so super disgusting. It was almost at that point just trained and traumatized to bang these palm oil workers. And then, if that's not enough to make you grossed out or to shut the podcast off... She was also, because she never moved, she was tied to this bed, she was also covered in bed sores and abscesses and mosquitoes were all over her. So we have an orangutan that's leaking pus, that's six years old, that's an orangutan tied to a bed, and people were still paying money for it. Eventually, so this really story broke back in 2003, I originally found it in my, I believe, the new news folder. Eventually, the police were like, found out, and they're like, that's disgusting. We have to go stop this. We, this is so gross. They, they're just writing in their police report. Blech! They draw a picture of a cop throwing up. They go to the place to free the, free the orangutan. 
And they didn't want to let him go. The whorehouse and the people of the palm oil plant were like, no, you're worse. You, how dare you try to take our pony? This person's, this is one of our natural treasures. Like, they actually were, they really wanted to bang this thing. They wanted to bang this thing. They'd been doing it for years. They want to let her go. 35 police officers had to show up. There was an armed standoff between the whorehouse and Pony's fans and the police. Eventually, the police, though, did get Pony out of there. And the whorehouse owner, the quote was, the madam cried bitterly when Pony was rescued. You're selling her body to get raped, dude. Why are you upset now? But she did bring in a lot of money for the whorehouse. It might have been that. Ten years later, so Pony's still alive. Well, she was as of 2013. That was the last article I could find on her. She is, for a long time, she hated dudes, which is quite understandable. Kind of weird that she didn't hate women, considering the madam was a woman, but probably just had more experience, bad experiences with dudes. Hated dudes for a long time. Wouldn't work with male zoo workers and stuff like that. Always kind of like hid in its enclosure. She's safe now. She's doing healthy. She's got all her muscle tissue back. She can now go up and hug a dude and not worry about anything. And she's just hanging out with other orangutans. Gross. Do you, how gross of a human do you have to be to, to really get involved in any sort of sexual slavery? I wonder whose idea it was to get the orangutan at first. Did they find a baby orangutan and go, hmm, this will make a cute pet and or prostitute? Or did, did they, was the orangutan already just kind of hanging out? They found it as a baby. And some dude comes in. He's like, I already banged all your prostitutes. How much money for that? I don't know. It's disgusting either way. It's disgusting either way. But what's kind of creepy is that we know about this one. They seem to be so casual about the prostitution of a ape. You wonder how many other places this is happening at. How many other people, how many other brothels around the world can you just like bang a zebra? I'm actually, now that I say that, I'm sure there's quite a lot. I'm sure it's very, very, very common, unfortunately. But Pony, you got away. Good job. I'm glad you were able to get rescued. That's completely disgusting. Oh, and she's all healed. All the pus wounds are gone and all that stuff. She's 100% and her hair grew back. The end. So our next story is a story that was a request. I don't remember who requested it to me. I think it might have been just an anonymous user on 4chan. I've looked through all of my YouTube notes and emails and I, I, I don't see it. But I apologize if that's the case. Hit me up and we'll figure something out. This is the story of the Jameson family. Now, the Jameson family was, by all accounts, a normal family at the time. But then some odd things started going on that made even their family members kind of question what was true anymore. We're in the city of Ufala, Oklahoma. Now, I have no idea where Ufala is. I didn't even know Ufala was a word until now. It's probably a name. Something like that. You have a family of three. You have the father, Bobby Jameson. His wife, Sherilyn Jameson. And little kid, little daughter, six-year-old girl named Madison. Now, their first crime was spelling their daughter's name with a Y instead of an I. Quite odd. Should have been a telling clue to what was coming. Because that's a weird way to spell your daughter's name. But anyway, so the three of them living a fairly normal life. But something happens that makes the police have to look a little closer at them, and they start to kind of unravel this weirdness. So the first thing, now I'm, I'm going to do this so uh, the police, a little bit of foreshadowing there. The first thing that's really notable in this family's life is that Sherilyn and her sister, Nikki, 
are into the paranormal. And Sherilyn buys a book she calls The Witch's Bible. And she's like, oh, wouldn't this be so funny if I read this book called The Witch's Bible? And the sister's like, yeah, I guess, maybe. And that's when the delusions kind of start to set in. She begins to think that she has the power to exercise demons. And she begins to think that her house is haunted. Because she describes to her sister, once seeing this gray mist descend down the staircase... She's like, oh my god, that's a ghost. There couldn't be any other rational explanation for that, like, I don't know, smoke or a cloud that's in my house, apparently. It's a ghost, and it might have been. But then she also said that once her husband, Bobby, was possessed, and his eyes went black and lifeless, and he came at her, but she stopped it. She's telling her sister this stuff. The sister's like, well, that's, that's a little weirder than your first story about the mist coming down the stairs, but... You know, you're my sister. And then at some point, Bobby also starts to get into this stuff. But he ups it. He's like, you got the witch's Bible? That's nothing. He goes out and buys the satanic Bible. Now, he's reading that. His wife's reading the witch's Bible. First off, I don't think there's a witch's Bible. I think that's probably just the marketing gimmick for a book, or they just don't know what to call it, as far as like what the sister and the police are referring to it as. There is a Satanic Bible. It's written by Anton LaVey. And for the 900th time on this podcast, there's a huge difference between people who are in the Church of Satan and, like, actual Satanic demonic worshipers. So if somebody was was like, I want to get involved in the dark arts and and unleash chaos on the world, the last thing you're going to want to get is the Satanic Bible. Because the Satanic Bible is like a humanist text. It has no spells in it. It's just a book that it's it's it, it was very cleverly marketed book. I'll give him that, but it's not like this grand grimoire of like dark spells to unleash the ancient ones. It's a book. So, anyways, he's reading the Satanic Bible, most likely bored out of his mind. His wife is reading the Witch's Bible. Eventually, the local minister in town gets a visit from these two, and that's when Sherilyn first says, "I can exercise demons. I can actually exercise demons from people." Minister's probably like, what? I can't even do that. Okay, whatever. How do you know? And she's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just assuming. And she might have told him the story about the husband getting possessed and her stopping it. And she told him, she said, I'm reading the witch's Bible right now. And the minister's like, hmm, interesting. Now, I don't know if they went at the same time, but the husband also went to the minister. And I, from what I've read, it sounds like they showed up at different times. The minister, once Sherilyn leaves, the minister is like, God, she is so weird. And then her husband walks in and he's like, oh, damn it. The husband says, the husband's talking to the minister and says, we're being haunted by demons. There's demons in our house, minister. You have to help us. You have to help us. And the minister's like, okay, let go of me. Just stand back. Don't have to grab onto me. And then he didn't actually grab onto him. I should be clear. He didn't assault the minister. Bobby then asked the minister, hey, this isn't a bit. This actually happened. He's like, hey, minister guy, do you have any supernatural bullets? The minister's like, what? What? He's like, do you have supernatural bullets? I want bullets that can shoot demons and hurt them. Now, at this point, I think any rational person of, of pretty much any religion outside of like some cult that encourages this type of behavior would be very, very concerned Because now you have two people in the same family talking about ghosts and demons in their house. And that's kind of par for the course. 
But now they're also saying stuff like, we can stop them. I just need the right weaponry to kill them. And that, that, that's the thing. If a family comes to a minister and says, I think my house is haunted, they'll look into it. But if they're like, my house is haunted, do you know how to build a holy flamethrower? That's when it's at a different level. A different level of worry. Now, people in the area kind of started to think that Sherilyn might actually be a witch. It sounds like Sherilyn encouraged that behavior. Because she was in a feud with some neighbors. And throughout the court... And there's not a lot of detail on this either. And this is where we're going to get in a lot of the mystery of it. The Jamesons were in a feud with some local neighbors. And we don't know what the nature of the feud was. No one's saying what it was. Or even who the neighbors were. But during the course of this feud, three of her cats, of the Jameson cats, were killed. Now, the Jamesons had a huge uh, shipping container on their property. And someone quote-unquote, someone spray-painted on the side of it, witches don't like their black cat being killed. Now, some people have thought it was the locals spraying that, saying, witch, witch, witch. I think it was Sherilyn who sprayed that. Because it's a warning to people. So someone wouldn't spray-paint that and be like, yeah, isn't that right? Witches don't like their black cat being killed. Like, that doesn't make sense. But putting it up as a warning, saying, oh, you killed my cat? Witches don't like their black cat being I think it was them who spray-painted that. But regardless, this feud seemed to continue. Now, there was a couple... They had racked up quite the enemy list in the area, actually. In this small town, Eufaula, in the middle of nowhere. They had problems with Bobby's father over money. They had a former roommate who used to live there, who they were probably presumably friends with, if not acquaintances with, that Sherilyn started to think was a member of a white supremacist gang and kicked him out. So now you have that, if he was a member of a white supremacist gang, now you have them as an enemy. You definitely have him as an enemy. They have their neighbors as enemies. And then there was rumors that they had pissed off a cult. There was a local cult operating in the area that they were kind of running afoul of. And there was also the rumor that they began to get involved in methamphetamine. And that rumor came from people saying that their behavior was acting weird. They started losing a lot of weight. And at this point, they're planning on taking their shipping container, moving it out into this area. I think it's called Red Oak, Oklahoma, but out into this more rural area than they're already at. And that area is known for lots of meth cooking. Now, I think another side effect of it could just be, you know, like the fact that they're seeing demons everywhere and they're talking about blowing their heads off. That could also be a sign of meth psychosis. But for whatever reason, they got rumored to be involved in the meth trade somehow, and then running afoul of the cult, running afoul of the neighbors, and so on and so forth. So quite the enemies list for a couple people. There's They have security cameras all over their house. So again, very, very paranoid. These guys weren't just kind of like normal people going about their day. Like, they had some troubles. They have security cameras everywhere. They're talking about fighting demons. They think their house is haunted. People think a cult's after them. They think someone's after them because they got these security cameras everywhere. On a cold October morning, the family of three is spotted loading their goods into the back of their pickup truck. Now, they had told some people that they were going to go scout some land. They were going to go purchase a piece of land to move the shipping container and just live out of town. Live in this area. They hop in the pickup truck. Drive away. Never seen again. So, very shortly, the investigation starts because this family goes missing. Eight days later, they find the pickup truck. 
completely abandoned. The dog is still in the truck, malnourished. It went eight days without food. That dog's fine. They got their dog to a close relative. Not a close relative of the dog, but a close relative of the family. And the cops find this truck. So the cops find this truck. This is what they find in the truck, other than the dog. All the cell phones. Bobby's, Sherilyn's, possibly even uh, Madison's little toy cell phone, Fisher-Price cell phone. That was That's jokes and bad taste. You, uh, they find $32,000 in cash in an envelope, so it's not like hidden, it's sitting out. They find a pill bottle from the ex-roommate, kind of a weird clue. Her purse, his wallet, his ID, all left in the car, all unmolested. It had been sitting there for eight days. The police think foul play. Something happened, like some reason these people drove out here and were forced out of the car and probably kidnapped or murdered, we don't know. The big question is, if that was the case, why wasn't that stuff stolen? Why would $32,000 is a lot of money to leave behind. Even if you were trying to make it look like something, that's still a lot of money to leave behind. Family just vanishes. Four years later, though, three miles from the truck, find three skeletons. They find an adult, they find a papa skeleton, a mama skeleton, and a little girl skeleton. The cops are like, that's kind of what we figured. We probably should have walked out three miles and found these earlier. Because by the time they found them, that always is weird. Like, do the cops only just walk out a mile in each direction? And they're like, eh. Because they so long had passed that obviously they couldn't determine the cause of death. It was basically just three skeletons in the middle of nowhere. They know for sure, matching dental records, that the skeleton is Bobby's, they assume. I don't think they got the dental records on the other two, but they assume that it's all connected. But they might have, before you get your conspiracy cap on and go, they were sold in a white slavery. They may have gotten the dental records for at least the mother as well. Police still suspect foul play. Now, foul play could mean a lot of things, and these are kind of the working theories. The father of Bobby had something to do with it, over money. It was a murder-suicide, either the mother... Killed the daughter and the father, or the father killed the daughter and the mother. It would be quite the amazing feat if the daughter killed both of them and then killed herself, but they think that it could be a murder-suicide. The idea of a meth gang taking them out, I don't think is that plausible because the cash is left behind. And I think that the white supremacist argument isn't very likely either because the cash is left behind. And the argument of the father doing it, is ridiculous as well because they were fighting over money. So that really leaves us with two, three possible theories. One, the murder-suicide, because no one's going to be like, hey, I'll spend this money later. Oh, I forgot the suicide part. The, you know, that's not going to happen. There's two groups of people who would have no need for $32,000. One of them maybe a little bit, but the second one wouldn't need it at all. The first one being the cult. Now... If the cult was trying to sense, if there, and there are supposedly active cults in this area, if the cult was trying to send a message to the people in the community that we don't want your, we don't want your money, we just want your soul, like there's some sort of like evil cult, they would just march a family of three out, execute them, and leave everything else behind to show that they were bigger than money. Now, that's a little fanciful. No cult is bigger than money. Cults want financial power first and foremost that's why they make all their members give stuff up but i could see a crazy cult a crazy supernatural cult doing that more so than a white supremacist gang being like you know we're going to show these people that 
white supremacy is awesome so much that we don't want this sweet sweet money and then they would just take the money like none of those other groups i think would leave thirty two thousand dollars behind but there's one group that definitely wouldn't need thirty two thousand dollars wouldn't need cell phones or id or anything like that is what if i'm gonna i hate to say this because i hate to indulge in their possible drug-filled delusions but what if they were being haunted by some sort of demonic entity What if he did get possessed, or one of them got possessed, or all of them got possessed, and were marched out into the middle of nowhere? Now, I don't think a demon would really care about leaving DNA or fingerprints. Why it wouldn't just massacre them in the house? If it had enough power to possess one of them to go through with this, why not just have the slaughter take place in the house? Why have it take place in the middle of nowhere? Was it possible that this abandoned area that they were going to buy had some sort of dark energy to it? This is, I sound, this is obviously all just guessing and most likely not true. But it's just such a bizarre story. Like, what if their delusions were true? And I keep wanting to say, but they're not. But, I mean, they might have been. What if their delusions were true? What if there was some sort of demonic possession going on there? And instead of wanting to slaughter them in the house like you you would, I guess that's why I keep questioning it. Because I think it's almost a little too complicated. But let's just roll with it. Demon possesses one of them. Drives them up to the say, hey, we're going to buy this area. Isn't this place great? We're going to buy this area. And for some reason, this demonic force wants to get them out into this area. And that's where the sacrifice is done by the demons. Or by the cult. I didn't think about that. It could have been some sort of ritual sacrifice. So they got tricked to coming up here on their own. So there wasn't a huge trail. But were they being targeted by some sort of hostile... Well, I guess that's kind of an oxymoron. Hostile demonic force. Was this whole thing just to incite terror in them? To get them out of their home... To go somewhere else, which is where they really were supposed to be for this ritual to happen. It's highly unlikely, but it's a weird twist to the story. Now, there are a few more details to this thing before we go. One of them is they found the cell phones in the car. And the police got the cell phones They began looking through it. And the police believe that this photo was taken the day of the disappearance, if not the day of the murder. And it's a creepy photo. It is a photo of young Madison sitting on a rock with a very, very weird facial expression. To me, it looks like she is scared or in some sort of distress. Other people look at it and be like, nah, she's laughing. And I'm thinking, that's not how, that's a weird looking laugh. But again, it's just a still photo of a young girl sitting on a rock out in the middle of nowhere, supposedly taken at or near the location of where the truck was. So who took that photo? Possibly Bobby. Why was that photo taken? And why does she look so... Why does she look so worried slash creepy? It's a very, very disturbing photo. And the other interesting thing about this case, and it could just be a coincidence, but the lead investigator, the lead cop who was looking into these disappearances, he ended up moving out of the country. He just was like, I'm done. He left the country. According to Sherilyn's sister, this was because he couldn't deal with the guilt of not being able to solve the mystery. Possible. Maybe he was just moving away. But the minister has also moved away, left that town, and refuses to discuss the case to this day. Is there something dark in the city of Eufaula, Oklahoma? 
is there a cult working its dark magic in that area? Is it something as mundane as a meth gang or a white supremacist group? Or is it something more terrifying that somehow a family was murdered by a demonic force? And I, if I have to be completely honest, if I had to go outside of the, I think the most likely answer is murder-suicide. But if other than that, I would put, I would say it was the cult and some sort of demonic activity. Maybe this cult isn't just one of those jokey cults where we're, we need money and we're just ripping people off and banging a bunch of chicks until we get arrested and thrown in prison. Maybe this is a cult that has actually found a way to channel demonic energy to erase their targets. Maybe the Jamesons did declare spiritual warfare on this cult, wanting the supernatural bullets, wanting to fight the good fight and learn how to stop demons. And instead, they were just overwhelmed by the power of these cult members. The cult didn't have to do something mundane like just have them shot or stick a knife through their heart. This cult was able to utilize powers to possess them, to get them to a location where the family would meet their end and the spiritual warfare would be over. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 